Welcome to Foundations, a podcast from Field Partner. We're an online portal of resources, training materials, courses and coaching for cross-cultural workers at each stage of their journey. This podcast is the home of our biblical teaching, which is an essential foundation for effective cross-cultural work and for following Jesus faithfully. For free courses, blogs, interviews and more, check out our website, fieldpartner.org, and follow us on social media to keep up to date with our latest resources. Hi, this is Ross Patterson sharing. I'm actually recording this in Taiwan. I, I know two of the last three, one was in the UK, one was in Singapore. So we have an eclectic flavor here. Uh, for those that uh, have been listening the last three months, I've done a series of three so far on Joseph, the Old Testament Joseph, and I want to carry on with that, but down a very specific track in this fourth one. And there'll be more to come in the months to come. Uh, want to do at least six months, I think, which would mean another two on Joseph. I want to deal with a very um, important, but perhaps less talked about element of the Joseph story. That's the lies of his brothers. Um, just immediately give you the context. They, uh, in Genesis 37, Joseph had the dreams that his brothers, his father and so on, would bow down to him. And um, uh, then his father sends him to go and find his brothers who are caring for the flocks. They are angry at the dreams, angry perhaps that he's his father's favorite with the uh, special coat his father has made. And so they first of all want to kill him. And then at Reuben and perhaps some others' suggestion, put him in a pit and then sell him as a slave to some passing Midianites. And then they go home to their father, and this is what they do. So they, this is chapter 37 of Genesis, verse uh, 31. So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. So they've sold Joseph as a slave, but they need to explain to their father what's happened to him. So they take this special coat that his father's given him, dip it, uh, kill a kid of the goats, and cover, smear the blood on the tunic. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, we found this, do you, not know, do you know whether it's your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, it is my son's tunic, a wild beast has devoured him, without doubt Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, Jacob the father, put sackcloth on his waist and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now, my question is, how could the brothers possibly do that? To tell a lie is one thing, um, to try and persuade the father that uh, Joseph was uh, dead. But to live that lie, comforting their father when they knew perfectly well it wasn't true, requires substantial effort. And really what I want to say is that's possible in our lives. In fact, it's reasonably frequent in our lives or in some lives. The uh, word for today said this, the book The Day America Told the Truth reports that 
91% of those interviewed in the USA, and I would think other countries equally, lie regularly, and 70% believes there are, believe there are no absolutes when it comes to good and evil. And uh, every day, uh, word for today comments, God says don't move the boundary lines, Proverbs 22:28. Why? Because they're there for your protection. Paul writes, hold fast to that which is good, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. What struck me in that, I have to say, wasn't the Bible verses, it was the fact that 91% of people said that they write, uh, lied regularly, and of those, about 75% said they did that because there aren't any absolutes. The, the, it's almost like lying doesn't really matter. Joseph's brothers lied and lived a lie for 13 years, built on that lie, persuading their father that Joseph was dead. Uh, I suppose you could argue that they thought maybe the Midianites would have killed him, so what's the difference? But they knew he hadn't been killed by wild beasts. They knew that the coat thing was a lie, and yet they go and try and comfort their father. You could say considerably lacking in anointing, possibly. Now, my statement then is if 91% of people regularly lie, that's not that unusual. But, but, Numbers 23.19, let's see what the Bible says. Numbers 23.19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do so? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? So there, immediately, you have the tension the Bible gives, that God cannot, will not, never does lie. So if we're going to walk with him, we have to be that way. Colossians 3.9 But now you yourselves are to put off all of these. Anger, Colossians 3.9 Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds. Colossians says, don't tell lies, because that's what you do before you came to Jesus. Whatever may be so in, in secular society, I, I want to make it absolutely categorical that the Bible's position is believers should not lie. In a way, what the Bible says, it's impossible, and I'll show you why in a minute. Titus 1-2, another scriptural comment on lying. Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie. There we are again. Promised before time began. And then again in Revelation 21-27. So we're saying God cannot lie, we often do, we need to change. And God's grace is available to help us. Uh, in Revelation chapter 21, 27, it, the heavenly city, its gate shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. This is the city God has prepared. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination, or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation then is utterly categorical that there's no place for liars in God's eternity. Now, uh, before we uh, 
misunderstand that. There is a place, by the grace of God, for repentant liars. Because all of us have lied at, at one time or another. Before we came to Christ, possibly since. Uh, but Jesus says, if we refuse to repent, if we hold against repentance for an obvious reason, there is no place. Like and unlike cannot live together. If, if, if it's our givenness to lie and we want to continue in that lie and we don't want to repent of that we actually run the danger of being excluded I don't want to make that categorical but these scriptures tell us God never lies and God never approves of lying so we need to change now there's a very good teaching by a man called Bill Gotthard uh, has excellent teaching on this kind of thing let me quote some of that some of it to you Truth is a key foundation of a civilization. It is the basis of all contracts and covenants. If there is no truth, there can be no trust. That's a very interesting point, isn't it? That uh, where truth is absent, so is trust. In a marriage, husband, uh, parents and children, in a company, anywhere. If there is no truth, there can be no trust. The importance God places on truth is reflected not only in his commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, but also in his future judgment of those who do not tell the truth. And uh, Goddard relates again to Revelation 21. I gave you 21.27. He quotes 21.8, Revelation 21 verse 8. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Same message again. The, the serious nature of lying. We, we talk of a little white lie. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. It's either truth or a lie. All right. Now, uh, Goddard has some, I think, very good analysis. Uh, he has this comment. Two primary motivations that control our words and actions are the desire for gain or the fear of loss. Now, we lie, generally speaking, for a desire for gain or a fear of loss. Firstly, Goddard says, many people tell lies because they fear the consequence of telling the truth. That was the case with Abraham when he lied to Pharaoh about his wife. Abraham said to Sarah, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, because she was a beautiful woman, but they'll take you, they'll save you alive. Genesis 12, 12. Because he feared loss, he feared for his own safety, Abraham, or Abraham as he was then, subjected his wife to serious moral danger. The first motive is fear of loss, usually personal financial, whatever. Secondly, his desire for gain. Got out again. People also tell lies in order to gain what they do not deserve. This is what Jacob did when he lied to his father about who he was in order to steal the blessing from his brother Esau. Gehazi lied to Naaman in order to get gold and clothing. Instead of gold and clothing, he got leprosy. Then uh, Goddard adds something. So he, sa he said here, the two driving forces for lying are desire to gain, uh, get something that we shouldn't have, or fear of loss, uh, personal danger, whatever. Then he makes this comment. 
half-truths, some lies such as half-truths or withholding information with the intent of leading a person to the wrong conclusion do not seem as serious to us as do quote-unquote full lies, but that's not God's perspective. And interestingly, Gotthard refers to Joseph's brothers. He says this, Joseph's brothers presented their father with Joseph's blooded coat, leading Jacob to believe that a wild beast had killed Joseph when they knew full well they'd sold him into slavery. God's severe judgment upon them came upon them for their deceptive actions and it lasted for generations. So that's an interesting point, isn't it? They didn't categorically say a wild beast has eaten your brother. They uh, put blood on the coat, gave it to their father and let him reach a conclusion. But in God's sight, that was a lie as well. All right, so uh, Bible's full of it. Our lives are full of it, the 91%. Let's, let's look at something I said earlier, the logical reason why, if we're walking with Jesus, we can't lie. Someone Hughes, one reason is we're, because we're made in the image of a God who cannot lie. And when he designed us, he made us in such a way that whenever we speak or live a lie, we are inwardly deprived. We are designed for truth, and we cannot function effectively unless we live by the truth. That is why when a rational human being knows that something is a lie, he cannot convince himself it is the truth. So, Selwyn Hughes is saying, um, God made us, God created us to be truth-telling, truth-believing, truth-following creatures. And so when we lie we actually work against the way in which God has cre uh, created us. The interesting comment he makes is, so when he was, the polygraph or lie detector pr test proves that. He or she may try to deceive others by pretending that they believe the lie to be the truth, but the situation goes against the grain of personality and causes an inner conflict. The conflict creates disturbances in the physical body, particularly in the change of temperature, which is then measured by the polygraph machine. When this happens, the little instrument goes, goes haywire and says, hey, you just told a lie. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? That physically, mentally, spiritually, we're made in such a way that if we lie, the body says, ouch, that's not right, even though the mind may be conveying it. And someone who said, isn't it interesting that science confirms the fact that we're made in the structure of our inner beings for truth and righteousness. It is absolutely imperative that we who have committed ourselves to Jesus Christ learn to live according to our maker's design and are willing to faith everything that is true, no matter how unpleasant or intimidating it may be. It is not easy to do so. Only a fool would say it is easy. But when we throw ourselves upon Christ and his resources, then he works within us and makes us the kind of people he originally intended us to be. Uh, one of the reasons I, I, I really felt I wanted to share this and, and challenge us on it is this. Recently I've come across two situations and I'm going to be very, very vague in them. But I, I want to speak to anyone who's listening here that we allow the Lord to search our hearts. Example one, uh, someone that I knew a number of years ago in uh, China ministry, um, just leaving this very vague, at one point really uh, feeling 
potentially joined to that person for long time, etc. There were a series of events that led to us uh, having to say it's, it's just not possible to work with that brother, but we didn't know why. Recently, 20 years later, I discovered that that brother was lead, leading a complete double life. Now, the interesting thing about that, I suppose if I was more spiritual, I would have seen it. We knew something was wrong. We just couldn't tell what. But the interesting thing is those around him must have known that or must have known something of it, but never, we lived in different countries and so on, never shared that with us. And we uh, didn't press in whatever. But what I'm saying is, it is possible for a season to be engaged in ministry and living a lie, but I want to tell you it's a season. If there's a lie inside us, if, if in our conduct, in something we're hiding, sooner or later that's going to come out. Example number two, in a marriage, uh, a situation we know of where uh, a brother married a sister a few years ago, and uh, much of that brother's introduction of himself was a lie, saying he had qualifications he didn't have, and for whatever reason, those around him uh, never told the uh, sister concerned uh, things that he said he'd done and things that he said he'd not done and so on and so on. And even when some of it began to come out, he didn't tell the full story so that... Uh, as they tried to rebuild, and then suddenly more came out, it just completely devastated the, the sister concerned because she legitimately asked the question, how can I possibly trust him? I thought we'd bottomed it, but there's more. How much more is there? Serious lies about uh, short-term things, where he was at a particular time when he wasn't where he should have been, long-term things about three years of his life where what he'd been doing, etc., etc. Um, the problem, as Bill Goddard said earlier, uh, that I quoted to you, is actually simply this. It is the basis of all contracts and covenant. Truth is a key foundation of civilization. If there is no truth, there can be no trust. But I want to add something to that. It, judgment of God on that isn't just eternal, it's temporal as well. And the judgment of God will come, I believe, as with the first example I gave, on a brother or a sister if we walk in a lie. All right. Uh, what I'm trying to say to you is that if 91% of people lie regularly, if uh, there are gross examples of this, the response we need to have is perfectly simple. We need to deal with any shadow of a lie big or small, in our lives. 1 John 1, 7 to 9. 1 John 1, 7 to 9. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light. I, I want to challenge you. If there's a lie in your life, deal with it. If you're living a lie towards a spouse, towards, uh, in, towards colleagues at work, towards colleagues uh, in the church and ministry, deal with it. Because 
There are two conditions to that. We have fellowship with one another. There never will be true fellowship based on a lie. And secondly, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses from all sin those who walk in the light, not those who walk in the darkness. And if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. Let me say that again. You say, well, Ross, this is so difficult. This stuff... I, I don't know how to deal with. If we confess our sins, he, Jesus, the prince of light, the prince of grace, the, the master of, of kindness and mercy, he is faithful, he is trustworthy, he is true, he is honorable to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, number one, based on that, repent. Let the Lord search our hearts and deal with things that are a lie, past or present. Let the Holy Spirit search, search our hearts. Walk in the fear of the Lord. Two, accountability to the Lord in the fear of the Lord, but also to carefully chosen brothers and sisters. Make yourself, if, if, you're, if you're an alcoholic, as it were, you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, you say, I'm a recovering alcoholic, I need your help. If you're a liar, you need to do the same thing. You need to get into a situation of accountability. And thirdly, if you're involved in a lie which is not of your making, uh, may I give you a phrase, free or, or fess. Flee or fess. What do I mean by that? If you can, get out of it. If you're involved in a ministry, in a church that's built on a lie, get out of it and go somewhere where truth is on it. If you can't, for whatever reason, then be a whistleblower in the right way, in the right time. But if you're involved in somebody else's lie, you don't have to live with that. Whatever the cost, remember what Bill Goddard said about fear of loss, fear of gain. Whatever the cost, deal with it. Deal with it. Flee from it or fess up, uh, if you're not familiar with that expression. Uh, it, confess it openly. Tell, tell the truth. Blow the whistle. I, I wonder how many ministers would be saved, how many Christians would be saved from stumbling if we would only go to the light rather than keep our mouths shut about others. Please do that if you know this kind of stuff is going on in a serious way. The scriptures say go to the person, then bring one or two others with you, then make it public. Not public, public, as in the Daily Mirror or whatever, but public uh, to those in church or ministry authority. Please don't say it's none of my business. If you know it, it is. That's a hard teaching. But I'm asking, how did those brothers live for 13 years on the basis of a lie? How, I didn't go into it, how when they came to Joseph in, in uh, later on in Genesis... Um, how could they possibly, in Genesis 42.8, and then 42.18 and 31, and 42.32, 40, uh, how could they say to Joseph, our brother's dead? And interestingly, in chapter 42, verse 32, they say, we're honest men. Well, let me just pray and leave it there. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us to see that you walk in the light. And what walks in the darkness has no part of you. Help us to see that there is no place in eternity for the perpetual liar who won't repent. Lord, we do not want to be amongst that number. We want to be amongst the number of those who walk in the light and so fellowship with you. 
Lord, Spirit of God, please show our hearts where we need to deal with this. In Jesus' name, Amen. We hope you found this resource encouraging. Why not subscribe to be notified of our future episodes? You can also check out our sister podcast, simply called Field Partner, featuring inspiring stories from experienced missionaries. Follow us on social media or sign up to our newsletter via the website to stay up to date on our latest resources.